what is up everybody welcome back to another episode of the rewired soul podcast it's your host chris and we have a very very interesting episode for you today because today my guest is none other than charles love all right so charles just released a brand new book called race crazy and it just came out this week so it's brand new hot off the presses all right so yeah i i was really excited to talk with charles about this uh he was kind enough to send me an early copy of his book and i read it and you know uh, a little backstory and one of the things i try to do here is you know i i've seen charles on twitter i've come across some of his interviews and i'm like me and this guy don't really agree on everything right so charles uh in this book it uh, criticizes things like, you know, critical race theory, uh, Black Lives Matter, the 1619 Project and everything like that. And I read the book and I am just such a huge believer. And I try to, you know, teach everybody in my audience why this is so important. But I'm a believer that we have to read books by people we disagree with. All right. There is nothing worse than sitting in our own bubble. I was actually talking with somebody about this on Twitter the other day. Like, I just can't imagine, right? I can't imagine just only reading books by people who agree with me, you know, because confirmation bias can be so just addictive. But we always complain about, you know, these social media platforms keeping us in a bubble and all these other things. So, you know, I think it's important that we break that bubble on our own by reading books and listening to opinions from people that we might disagree with. But anyways, um, you know, what I found from the book from Charles was there is actually a lot that I do agree with. And in this conversation, it's really interesting because I do find that we agree on a lot more things than I thought. And one of my favorite things about talking with somebody like Charles with this different kind of perspective is, you know, not only did his book teach me a lot of things that I didn't know, but he helped shift my perspective on some different topics and you'll hear that come up in this conversation we have a lot of conversations around schooling and underprivileged kids and lack of funding for schools and how rich schools have more resources and everything and this is another reason why it's so important to talk with people who are looking at things from the opposite side because when we stay in our bubble we're going to miss so much we need to find the criticisms of the thing that we think is right so we can look at it better, assess it better, analyze it better, and all those things. And that's exactly what Charles does in his book, in this conversation. So I really hope everybody out there, you know, no matter what your beliefs are, I hope you really see that we can have conversations with people from different, uh, you know, parts of the political spectrum, different views on different topics, and all that kind of stuff. Because what I found talking with Charles, and what I always find on, on my podcast, talking with people is that, we agree on so much more, so much more than we think we do. All right. So I really appreciate Charles for writing this book and uh, taking the time to come on the podcast. Um, so make sure you head down to the description below. Make sure you're following Charles. Grab a copy of his book, Race Crazy. It's out now. And he also uh, released the audio version of this book as well. So if you're an audio listener like me, check it out. It's available now. All right. But before we jump into it, if you're brand new here, Make sure you're following the podcast, uh, subscribe, whether it's on 
Apple or Spotify so you don't miss any episodes. I was doing like five episodes a week. Now I'm at about two or three per week. We're at over 115 episodes coming up on 120 episodes. We just launched this thing in May. I read a ton. I love talking with uh, nonfiction authors. So make sure you're following the podcast. And uh, yeah, make sure you're subscribed on YouTube if you're into that, because I try to upload as many episodes as possible over on my YouTube channel, The Rewired Soul. But I'm also on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul. Make sure you're following me. Um, I I write a ton. I'm working on a new book right now, so you don't want to miss any of those updates. I uh, tweet or, you know, post Instagram posts whenever there's new episodes out, all that stuff. And most of all, I just love talking with all of you, getting book recommendations and all that kind of stuff. So follow me over on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul. But anyways, this was a super long intro. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Charles Love about his brand new book, Race Crazy. Hello, Charles. Thanks so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Thanks for sending me an early copy of the book. So for those who have yet to have the pleasure of meeting you, uh, tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and I guess like what inspired this book, Race Crazy, as well. Okay, so I uh, am a radio host. I'm the host of the Charles Love Show uh, on AM560, The Answer in Chicago. At the podcast, Cut the Bull with Wilfred Riley and Shamika Michelle. So we talk a lot about all the issues that uh, we're facing today in a real normative, straightforward kind of, you know, approach that most people don't, at least we don't think most people take. Mm-hmm. I am the executive director of Seeking Educational Excellence, which is an organization focused on helping underprivileged kids reach their full potential. And the book, Race Crazy, BLM 1619 and the Progressive Racism Movement, uh, the catalyst of the book is really um, a little different from a lot of things. I know you see see the title, you hear the name, you think it's the same as so many other books out there. But I'm a solutions guy. I talk on the radio a lot about I bring people on all kinds of issues, whether I agree or don't, don't agree, and try to flush that out. But in reality, the show isn't about what I think and who's right or wrong. It's like, okay, so what do we do about this problem? We say there's a problem, what do we do? And I don't think many people talk about that. So um, when George Floyd was killed and we saw everything that was going on, I saw that, again, as is the norm, the conversation shifted from real problems and solutions to I'm mad. And because I'm mad, everything is bad. So um, to me, it does a disservice to whatever you're trying to do, whether I agree with you or not. Now, there are things about that, what they do I don't agree with just because I just don't agree with it. Mm-hmm. And some I may say, well, what you complain about makes sense, but are you going about it the right way? Mm. So I wanted to, to highlight that both from the BLM standpoint and from the standpoint of the 1619 Project where we get into because there's a lot of talk in education. And even there, I don't think today with the heated battle between administrators and school boards and the, and the parents and teachers left in the middle and, and you know, the debate over CRT. I don't think people are talking about what's really happening in schools and mm. what the solutions may be because they're all up here yelling at each other from some macro level. So from the book standpoint, I wanted people to have a clear understanding of what the people that I think, you know, are pushing in the wrong direction, what they think. So not Mm -hmm. uh, a talking point. I feel that the news is very unfair 
whether I agree with an issue or not, to everybody. So they're unfair to the left and they're unfair to the right. Because as much as the right may make fun of the squad or Nancy Pelosi, what they hear from the squad and Nancy Pelosi is a small snippet of what they say. Because the media doesn't have time for war and you don't like them. So you're not following the, them around and listening to everything. So mm. you've heard 30 seconds. So what I wanted to do, and the same goes from, for, for conservatives as well. They, you know, they take the worst clip and say, look at the foolish thing you said. But when you hear it in context, you may still disagree, but it may not sound so foolish. So what I wanted to do is let you hear what they really think, read their own words, and draw an assessment from that. Because I think a lot of people were uh, donating to BLM because they felt they should do something, but they really didn't know what BLM was about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, yeah, that's one of the things I really enjoyed about the book. It's almost like you, you put on like a little investigative journalist hat and you go into like all the stuff about like BLM and I learned a ton. And before we jump into those organizations, like, uh, yeah, uh, you know, you and I have chatted before this, but yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm lefty. I, I, I see myself as kind of progressive, but like I see all of the freaking issues going on. Like, for example, we recently both had a mutual guest, the amazing Bacha Ungar Sargon, right? And like, I loved her book. I was like, finally, someone is pointing this stuff out. And, you know, Bacha identifies as like a socialist, but we see like this kind of culture war, just like calling everybody racist or transphobic. And it's like, well, what about the real issues? What about the real people who are suffering and stuff like that? Because it seems like it's just this easy thing to just slap labels on people and it's distracting us from the real problems. I love how you said like, you try to focus on, you know, solutions. Like that's that's my jam. So like, I, as you see it, like as a whole, where where do you think like the core of issues, you know, the, the book centers around the racial topic, right? Where do you think the core issues are? Is it, with like you have your uh, organization with schools and stuff like that. Is it starting with schooling? Is it starting with communities? Where do you think the root is or is it all over the place? Well, it's definitely all over the place. And it's not to say, and, I, and I'm only gonna try to say this once because we all make the mistake. I am cognizant of it. So I do it less than most people, but we all fall on the track. I don't like the both sides thing because there's more than two sides and the nuances Ooh. on each side. So I try not to do that. And, and but this is hard because you, you want people to understand what you're saying. So, and then there were times where, well, where, where my common refrain is to give people their arguments. So I'll say, I'll give them that argument and say, let's assume that's true. Because that's really the core of the problem. The problems are vast and there are lots of problems, right? And they all can't be solved with a wave of a magic wand. I get that. But at the same time, my problem is that we're not talking about the problem. The problem with race crazy, with people being obsessed with race, is they will make race the problem of mm. which... It doesn't mean race is not a problem, but if race is the problem of everything, one is hard to solve because you can't fix humans. I can't make you think differently about me. And secondly, mm -hmm. what you're saying then is if I remove that chaos of racism out, there would be no problems left. Yeah. And any sane person knows that's not true, mm -hmm. right? So that's what I mean by solution. So if you talked about what the solutions would be, I would think uh, it would depend on the problem. But I give you one example. When I was in Chicago, I moved to New York recently. When I was in Chicago, I was working on um, putting together this organization, and it was called the Sun Project, Saving Urban Neighborhoods Project. Mm -hmm. And what I wanted to do was say, let's take all the projects. So you, you have charities, for instance, right? And they focus on all different things, health, policing, all these different things. And they all are real problems, and they all have their different degrees of, of help that they're providing. So I said, what if we did the inverse? So we had a charity that handled 
all of the problems, but we started in a concentrated neighborhood because people mm. always say about wraparound services, right? So what if I took a neighborhood, you know, took an eight blocks radius, and in that eight block radius, we had an organization that handled everything you need. If it's mentoring, if it's babysitting, if it's job training, if it's skills, if it's whatever it is, we do it all, right? You know, one-stop shop. It doesn't mean that you you re, re, reinvent the wheel, so to speak. If there's a charity that's doing that and they're doing a good job, mm. you bring them in and you offer them funding. You say, here, we'll send you the raw materials you need. You do what you do. So you're not physically doing it all, but you're making sure everything is covered. But that, that might work. There's other things that may work. But the problem comes into this. Where I differ from a lot of people, what you call progressive, is I say, I'm going to try anything because I want to actually find a solution. Yeah. But what I what I will say is that I understand the human condition. So I understand that some people will fall through the cracks. Some people we have to write off. It doesn't mean I write them off in the sense that they're subhuman and I don't care what happens to them. But in the core of what I'm trying to fix, I know that there's some people I'm just going to say, they don't work for what we're doing. So we, we can count them. So you want to talk about fixing crime. We can do everything we can to try to change the minds of drug dealers. We can get people recidivism training to while they imprison to make sure they don't go back. But once you are violent, I want you to go to jail. There is no, no, well, let's see what we can do about the guy who shot for people. The guy who shot for people needs to go to jail, right? Mm. And, and to them, they, a lot of them just don't think they want anybody in jail. So it breaks down at that point. So we can talk about solutions, but we may not agree with what the problem is. And right now, I don't think the argument's even surrounding what solutions may be. It's just pie in the sky, feel good. I just feel like if nobody was in jail, there'd be no crime. So of course I'm going to push back against that. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And I and I hear what you're saying. Like there's there's so much in the book that I like, I was like, yep, spot on. But then there's other things where I'm like, oh, we can have a conversation and maybe we'll touch on it a little bit later. Cause like me, I'm a recovering drug addict, right? I never shot anybody. I wasn't that hardcore. I was getting my drugs from like suburban moms and stuff like that. Cause I was doing pills. But but yeah, it's like uh, the, the prison conversation and stuff. And you talk about that in the book and there's some stuff I'm like, yeah, I could see that maybe not this, but like when we're talking about these organ, let's, let's start wide at the organizations then focus on some problems. But like, I think before we dive into 1619 project, which I'm super confused on still, let's talk about BLM a little bit because okay. You you broke down BLM. It's something I've been following, you know, I've known about for, you know, years now, but it really blew up last year with George Floyd and everything. And I think, you know, I think there's a disconnect between like Black Lives Matter, like just saying Black Lives Matter and then the organization, right? And that's where I think there's some confusion because like when I hear it, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, Black Lives Matter, you know? <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, okay, whatever. But when you talk about there, there's like a, a an organization that people are giving money to and there's like people, some we don't even know. So like, can you break that down a little bit? And do you think there's like some confusion and like, I, I don't know, like, give me, give me your thoughts and some of the issues with the actual organization that you touch on in the book. Well, let's talk about what you said before we get to the organization. The, I agree with what you said totally. That's not an issue. The issue is we can't be naive about it. So is there a difference from a group of people saying, I think Blacks are treated differently than other groups. And I say that their lives matter because to some, they don't realize it. And to others, of course, they realize it matters, but they don't understand how much we're treated differently. We can disagree or agree on that, but that doesn't matter. It's not, I mean, I'm saying this. That is to say that what well, I can agree with the sentiment and not agree with the organization. Of course you can, and that's fine. 
The problem is when you promote the, the, the saying, you promote the organization, they're linked to the people yeah. who don't know any better. And when you give money, you can't give money to the feeling in the ether of the words. You're giving money to the organization. And as I say clearly, if you look at what they believe and you say, I'm down for this and you give them their money, it's a free country. I have no problem with that. Yeah. I may not give them the money. I don't agree with it, so I don't give them the money. You can just do it right. Do whatever you want to do. I don't yeah. care. I just personally believe that there's a large percentage of people, especially when you get to the corporate level, that I donated it as you know, virtue signaling, yep. you know, <laughs> and, and hope that we won't get attacked because we'll look like the good guys or yeah. because they honestly don't know what they believe. So all I say is I present the information, say, here's the information. If you read this and believe it, listen, so you, you do the research because I cite a lot. He's like, wow, this is true. This is what they said. Do I still want to give them money? If you say, yeah, then I'm like, all right, you know who you were giving your money to. But if you're surprised by that, then I did my job and to the organization. So in the book, I point out that, you know, I give them the art. So police brutality is a problem and policing is a problem. I never said it was. BLM was founded to fix that. Good for them. Why don't they talk about it anymore? You don't believe me? Because I'm some right winger. Go to their website right now and see how often they reference policing. Mm-hmm. Right? Go to the website and see what they highlight. And then in the book, unlike soundbites, I take large quotes from websites that say, this is what they say. So if I'm the CEO of Coca-Cola and I'm sitter, sitter, written enough, and I care about what's going on, I want to make money, I care about making it responsibly, but profit is the bottom line. I got shareholders I care about, and I'm your quintessential CEO, big corporation CEO. You think I might be surprised and I care about BLM? I donate to them. I put that logo on the can because I think they're a cool organization and I want Black Street failing. And I honestly believe that. Mm-hmm. Do you think I'd be surprised when I find out they say they're anti-capitalist? Yeah. You think I want to sign on to that? Yeah. Right? You know, I, there's no way they know that, right? Or when they say that, you know, we want you know, reparations for migrants or we want to abolish all police detention centers, jails and everything, you know, things of that nature. They don't look, because remember the debate was on the right, they were saying, define the police is bad. And on the left, they were saying, well, we don't really mean to follow. We're just saying that word. We just need to translate the resources from over here and maybe support the police with some other things, take them away from this thing. No, no, no. Their words say we are abolitionists. At our core, we want to abolish police. So all that debunking is the first step to try to move in a direction. But the end game is to abolish. Not my words, theirs. How many yeah. people do you think, normative people, people in the black community, do you think will sign on to abolishing police? I say it's less than 5%. Yeah, no, it's, uh, I, I can't remember where I heard the statistic, but people within, uh, you know, communities where there are crime, like black communities where there is crime, they want more policing, you know what I mean? And so, yeah, that that's why I see some discrepancies. But yeah, when you were talking about that stuff and, you know, uh, they have like a mission statement, I think, or like their principles and things they're working for. And, you know, I'll never forget because I remember the whole Occupy Wall Street thing. And there's, you know, looking back, there's so many books that talk about why it was failed because they don't, they didn't have a plan of action. They didn't talk about anything. And you kind of point that out with like BLM and how vague it is. And, you know, just to get on a current topic, that was some of the issues with this recent like Netflix protest that just went on. They didn't have any like any right. tangible things that really made sense or was. Because what could they have? They, a man who's a, who's a comedian mm-hmm. did a stand up. He tells some jokes. They didn't like some of them. Right. Let's just look at the basic. Let's not say who the comedian is. Let's talk about what the topic is. The problem like a comedian mm-hmm. get a stand up and said some jokes some people took offense to. What would the demands be? 
I mean, realistically, man, I know what they could say. They could say, well, ban, you know, don't show it. Don't allow it to be streamed, anymore. Don't, in the future, don't let anybody tell these jokes before. Do we really, the average liberal, I'm not talking to conservatives in my book. Does the average liberal think, truly want comedians to be able to, after, you know, write their jokes and submit them to a panel first before they tell them? Because where does it end? Comedians tell jokes on everything, about relationships, about women, about men, about sex, about everything. So then another group can say, well, so what happens when the Christians say, well, I'm offended with all the profanity. So you can no longer your profanity yeah. in your account. So you don't get to, that's the problem with the whole rich speech thing. You don't get to decide when it offends me, it should be banned, but when it offends you, it's okay because it's offending you, not me. So it's yeah. either all or nothing. So that's not even a realistic demand that they could have that would be rational. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It's the fact that, but even if it could be one, they didn't have one. It's like we're mayor, so we're standing outside. Yeah. And let me ask you this, because it's, uh, with you being somebody who's like, you know, you got this organization, your boots on the ground, like when it comes to these organizations or even like what you mentioned, like Coke and, you know, so many places just donating millions like this is something that personally drives me nuts i don't i don't know if you've like checked out like effective altruism like i got really into that and it's like make sure that your dollars are being well spent and mm-hmm. actually solving problems like does that drive you nuts that these these giant corporations or even you know smaller corporations are investing so much money that's just kind of going out into the ether when there's smaller organizations like actually trying to solve problems in these communities like well, yeah. There's two problems with that. But, you know, I take it personally. Since we're talking about me, I'm going to use my personal. <laughs> so one, I'm a scholar at 1776 Unites. You're, you're left-leading, you say, and you may agree or disagree with some of the stuff, but you say on, your, on all your podcasts, you encourage people to read books and listen to people who have a different point of view. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, not can speak for everyone else. So don't lump me in with any other conservative of the day. Charles Love has never said, banned anybody from saying anything. What mm-hmm. I say is, if Pepsi or Coke or Walmart's going to pay Kendi 20 grand to go and speak to all of their employees, they should be able to give me five mm-hmm. to go speak to their employees, right? Why is it Glenn Laurie speaking to their employees? Because one, not the other. So I said that to say, we have alternative uh, curriculum. We are, you know, given a different view from an educational standpoint on things. Talking about the other side, the charity, my organization gives scholarships to kids because we say things for this. Now, we had to tweak a little bit because after George Floyd, things got so crazy. But initially, it was all STEM focused. We all know, I asked everybody I know, think of all the Black people you know. Now, okay, I got it in my head. So think of all the ones who are CPAs, doctors, engineers, um, lawyers, the like. How many of them are unemployed? I've been asking the question for almost two years. Everybody said zero. So whatever racism exists, I'm not saying it doesn't, I don't know how much it is, but what I do know is we say there's an income gap. I do know that if none of the professionals are unemployed, even though they're black and the country's steep with racism, maybe we should try to get more black youth interested in STEM and push them and help them so that they become these professionals because at least we can lick the income thing. So one of the things that they like to say, well, poor blacks do poorer on SAT scores than whites. So instead of helping them, because they get because they can afford all these, you know, training tests and the uh, SAT prep. So we should ban the test. I'm like, why don't we just help them? So we raise money for people, we give them the training for free. So instead of mm-hmm. giving somebody a hundred grand to uh, to speak to their employees or a million dollars so they can research racism, you know, give us a half million dollars and we'll give, you know, a thousand kids an SAT prep test for free. You know, yeah. I, we got a, a civics challenge in uh, D.C. the week uh, weekend of um, 
Veterans Day with flying kids from all over the country out there to uh, CDC, go do some educational and fun things, and then give them a uh, care scholarship. Nobody did that. We had to just beg people for lunch. Cope didn't write us a check. We don't have a sponsor. So, the, yeah. so don't tell me that there aren't the tangible things you can do. So am I only helping 10 kids, 20 kids, 50 kids? Maybe. But if Cope was giving me money, I could help 500, 1,000. But instead, they'd rather, you know, pay somebody to make another video about how slavery, bad slavery was. Slavery was bad. It was extremely bad. And we all know how bad it was. We don't need another documentary to tell us that. So, yeah, yeah I'm definitely bothered by that. And I think that it's just, you know, focusing on the wrong thing, which is what we get a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do think that we live in a time where it's easy to, it's, it's a lot easier to signal things and actually do some stuff, you know? So, so I guess that's a good transition to this 1619 project. I've heard about it recently. There was some news that, uh, what's her name? Nicole, Hannah, something. Hannah Jones. Yeah. She, she wasn't allowed to speak somewhere. So there was some rumblings about that, but, uh, can you kind of explain what the 1619 project is what's it saying does that have a mission of something it's trying to do because did it didn't it start out like correct me if i'm wrong didn't it start out as like an article i think now she's working on a book like what is yeah, the big the book idea? coming out next month mm-hmm. hmm. what's the big idea behind 1619 project and what are some of the issues as you see it well so 1619 is interesting i definitely think it's really dangerous um, for a couple of reasons. And, but I guess I, you wanted me to describe what it is. So it was a project from Nicole Hannah Jones that was featured in New York Times Magazine uh, in late summer of 2019. It was reframing America's founding around slavery. It was, sh- I, it was going to highlight how racism is endemic and how the problems that the Black community sees today can be traced back to slavery. And because of that, that is primarily the reason why I think it's the most dangerous thing that's happening in schools now. I know there's a lot of talk about CRT. They are kind of tied together, but this is far worse for probably three reasons. Let me see if there's three. One, I don't really count them. I just know this. Yeah. So C- <laughs> CRT is being debated a lot now, but you have people saying it's bad, but then you have the people on the one side saying that you don't know what it is. Then they say, we're not teaching it in school. You don't have that problem with 1619 Project. A month after it was re- released, it was in 4,500 schools. Really? It's in multiples of that now. And like you said, you don't even know much about it. People, it was in school, on the school curriculum before people even knew what it was. They just started rolling it out, right? Like, how could they? It came out in like August and in September, it was in the school. I, I mean, you think everybody read it that quick? Uh, it won a Pulitzer, right? Which adds uh, credence to it. And... Just to simplify, and it's their words, not mine. I write it, write it in the book. I actually write a chapter on every answer. They say racism is in the DNA of America, which we all know what DNA means. So we know what this is saying. The, the, you know, it's saying that it's re- pretty much part of the being. Oh, yeah, I don't know how you separate it from it then, right? If it's the part of being, how do you fix it? Sounds like it's you know, counterintuitive to what they want to do. That's what it says, part of DNA. I also think it's most dangerous because there's a lot of truth in it. Probably 90% of it is fact. So you can't just go at, go at it and say, they're teaching untruth. Yeah. And it's well-written, right? So it paints a great picture. You, you put yourself in that place. It does a great job of that. But the conclusions are vastly flawed and the lies of omission. So they leave stuff out. So you know that it is being framed from a premise where it's like a, it can be scientific, but if the scientists say, I already have a bias and I'm going to ignore 
which is fine. Both sides just start to investigate stuff because they have a bias. But if they're going to do a good job, they'll do research, find out their world and say, no, my findings were opposite of what I thought. But what they do is say, nope, that doesn't work. So let's throw that away. Right. So what you have, you open it up. It's like the, the little ma- man, you cut out the paper and then you got all these, these people holding hands with the spaces in between. And that is the problem. There's enough truth to make you say, wow, I didn't know that. I looked it up. It was true. This is terrible. And they leave stuff out. So mm. they, they, Try to frame that everything's about racism and anything that doesn't prove its point gets swept away. And that is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And like, yeah, that's, that's something I try to keep an eye out, you know, for in like books and everything, like something I'm, I'm always looking for is like, you know, will, will someone like bring up like counterpoints or what, you know, I think your book did that quite a few times and you touched on that, like, Oh, here's what some other people say and everything like that. And like, I'm, I'm just curious with what they're saying, like saying that racism is like embed in the DNA, right? And then they get to the conclusion saying like, hey, here are the issues. What, like, you know, we were just talking about BLM and there's not like solid tangible things. Like what's, the, do you know if they have a goal? Like, are they trying to do something? Is there like, is there an end game where like, oh, we accomplished this, now we're good. Like what, what are they going for with that project? Well, that would be interesting to ask her because I'm believe based on my, <laughs> you know, because I can only go by maybe I, I haven't heard any interviews or city where she specifically said the goal of this. We figured if people read this, I think it's more like changing minds, making people think, wow, I didn't realize it was that bad. It was more like she said. She said that I didn't wish she, when the people channels a couple pushed back on a couple of things. She said, well, I never said this was a work of history. It's a work of memo. Well, if that's the case, then that proves that it shouldn't be taught as a history project. It shouldn't be a history course. It shouldn't be a social studies course because it's part fact, part fiction. That's fine. You know, if you want to say, use it as an example of what a lot of people believe in the country, which is true, some people believe it. So you want to use that in a college course and then offer an alternative and then, you know, piggyback that and use that to open the door to history and say, let me ask some context, fine. But to present that to a fourth grader who doesn't know enough to really push back and then add nothing else to it. It's not like they're going to take my group in the classroom and say, well, she says this, and this part is true. But as Charles says, you know, she talked about the founders and she said they all slept, which is partially, which is mostly true. You know, they, they do the facts, are mostly true. But yeah. the problem with this is that she never says that some of them did not own slaves. So if you're 13 years old, you assume all founders own slaves, right? Mm-hmm. Did she say the phrase, every founder owns slaves? No. But she says the founders own slaves, right? So yeah. you assume they all did. You don't know that some of them did. So by told you that, you're like, well, that's not true. And you'd be shocked. Also, they, as I keep mentioning, the founders wrote a lot about slavery. Some of them founded abolitionist movements. It's not in the project. One, there's nothing positive in the project about whites, period, ever. And there's very little, if anything, positive at all. Nothing about the country and nothing about whites. If there's anything that's a little bit positive, it's more directed toward um, blacks. But then they eventually, that positive is slapped down by the evil racist whites. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like taking D'Angelo's All Whites Are Racist uh, book and framing it out from there. Um, she, she changes when the, when the country was founded. She says that it could not have possibly been a country without the anti-black racism, which simply makes no sense, right? Um, doesn't know. I mean, we we can't look, do the butterfly effect and say what would be different. There's no yeah. way you can say, but for slavery, those people would never have complained about tax, being being taxed too much, mm-hmm. right? But for slavery, no one else would have been uh, American slavery, mind you. 
Uh, slavery would never continue to end anywhere else. If there were slaves somewhere else, you never know. Yeah. It probably would have ended because human nature eventually would have evolved, but you don't know when. But to say America could not be a country without X, Y, Z is a little extreme. And there's just a lot of examples in the project about that. And it's in the schools and they're pushing it and teaching it, celebrating it and giving her prizes. And that's the problem. And then there's no nuance, no context and no positives. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's definitely an issue with, uh, with some of these, these things going on where it's, it's like, where they, they argue that there's like basically no solution. Like that's when I started like looking at like Robin D'Angelo's work. I've said it on the podcast before. I was like, when I first picked up her book, I was like, well, why do people have an issue? And then I started like breaking it down and looking. And when, when you're like, Hey, this is baked in, there's no solution. This is how it always is. I'm like, well, that's not really giving anybody any kind of hope or anything. But when I, when I look at some of these things, like when I hear kind of what vaguely what 1619 Project is about, some of the things that BLM uh, people discuss or even progressives sometimes discuss, we hear this word systemic a lot, right? So help me understand like kind of what your point of view is in the, uh, and, and how you argue it. Like, for example, like going back to the example of just black kids, SAT scores and stuff like that, right? Like, do you view that as some type of systemic issue of affecting black communities or is it like a nationwide issue and i guess that's you know across the board and we can go one by one but like with policing with schools with housing with jobs like are these in the are these across the board does everybody face these struggles equally or do you see any of these parts being like a system problem um See, that's a complicated thing because I'm yeah. one of those people. Well, no, because one of my common refrains is words matter. Mm. So you have to think about and be careful about what you're saying because it's going to be a little bit, it's going to, you know, it's like a big diagram. It's going to take a little from each. So yes, no, yes, no, no. no. <laughs> so, so everyone, it doesn't affect everyone equally, of course not. And in many cases, it affects blacks worse than others, but it goes to the privilege thing. People often try to give me the gotcha and say, do you think there's white privilege and expect me to say no? Like, of course there is. They'll be ridiculous, but there's also black privilege mm -hmm. and two-paired household privilege and income privilege and American privilege. Now they all may manifest themselves differently and they may all play a different part depending on the situation. Like I was talking to someone recently and I said, yeah, there is white, you say whites have privilege and you say blacks don't have privilege, but I guarantee you, if I put a white person in certain scenarios and you can name some, you know, I don't know, 11 o'clock at night walking down the street in the hood. There's yeah. sometimes where it would be better to be black, mm -hmm. right? Or, but you people say, yeah, but that's in a negative situation. Or, you know, uh, college admissions. We just talked, you know, uh, Kendi just tweeted something out about whites lying, saying they lied about their race so they can get into college. Or there are corporations, there are people out there who won't hire you because you're black. You know, we hear the study about yeah. the names or whatever. But there are corporations that are trying to reach unwritten uh, minority quotas. I've worked for companies and managers flat out say we need to hire a, a minority candidate. So in that case, equally um, educated, would it be better to be black in that case than to be white? Of course mm -hmm. it would. So it just depends on the situation. Now, yeah. to the problems and to the systemic thing you're talking about. The system has something to do with it, but I don't like systemic racism because what it says, it says what you just disagree with about um, D'Angelo. If it's the system, the system is not a person. The system is, here's the system. Inanimate object. You think the system doesn't like me because I'm black? The system yeah. doesn't think of me about 
Now, my racial system doesn't know. So the only reason the system would move in a, in a certain direction is because there are people in the system. Mm-hmm. So the people are racist mm-hmm. and the people create laws and pass bills and, and put people in office who are racist and push these agendas, which is how you had Jim Crow laws. The Constitution didn't support Jim Crow. The people and the judge, justices just bent it to their will. Mm-hmm. So that being said, as we supposedly elect more people who aren't racist, then over time, the things should change, right? We say things are sexist. After we get enough women in office, things should change. So there's one or two are in this room, right? So either things will eventually change as you get more, more minorities, more women, and more conscious thinking people in, in, in office, or you get the argument, and I've heard, heard it before, mostly from the left, that the system is so strong and so ingrained that even those people can't change it. But there's a problem with that if you believe that. One, mm-hmm. then there is no solution ever. And two, we're back to square one. If you think the system is so strong that even good-hearted, wise-thinking people who aren't racist can't change it, then what do we do? We might as well stop trying because we can't change the system. Mm -hmm. So the system can be changed, but the problem is that in reality, we all really know deep down inside that whatever part the system plays, that there's other things at play. So, or it could be a situation where the system set up a deficit and now the system isn't really holding you back so much as you haven't caught up for what the system did that probably makes more sense than is the system today stopping blacks from doing x because of course the answer is not um my problem with policing is there are things you can do to try to fix the problem but i noticed that no one ever mentions criminality when they talk about police i mentioned that when i talk about the essay in the 1619 project for policing Fine, change whatever laws you want that you think are unfair or, you know, you know, that, you know, either have a negative effect primarily on blacks or just unconstitutional. But you never mention people breaking the law. You never say, what do we do about people robbing and stealing? So, for instance, you talk about a drug addiction, how you got your drugs. I said that, you know, a lot on the left said we don't want nonviolent criminals in jail. I actually agree with them. But here's the problem. We, they and I have a totally different uh, opinion of what nonviolent is. Mm. So I don't want to uh, lock people up for use, right? Not at all, right? If they're buying from the guy in the corner, don't lock him up. But when the guy on the corner is selling drugs and he uses guns that he bought illegally to protect his turf, I think that's violent. The left says that's not violent. So mm. I'm not arresting Chris for walking away with what he bought from the guy, but that guy, if I catch him with an illegal gun, when he has a shootout with a, with a rival gang, gang member or drug dealer, that's a violent crime. Is it, are we saying that it's only a violent crime if you, sh- if you shoot somebody? So if I shoot at you and miss, is that a violent crime? See, mm. this is a nuanced thing that sounds silly, but yeah. it matters. Because at some point, people break the law to get drugs in some ways. Some of those things we still can put in the um, category of nonviolent. Some we will say not. So some people will still end up in jail. And the left argument, nobody ends up in jail. And that's my problem. Yeah. So, yeah, there's there's definitely some stuff there and like i like how you brought that up like the nuances of like violent right and i've i've had uh like greg caruso on here he's like a philosopher of law and we get into like some of the nuances and all the crazy philosophical stuff and like when i when i think about this like i i i've been waiting to kind of run this by you because i think this would be interesting right like me as a leftist if i'm thinking of like black communities right or some black communities because i'm half black 
And a lot of my family members didn't live in some of these communities when people think of these underprivileged Black communities. Like, I was pretty fortunate, right? But anyways, let me just run this scenario past you. Tell me if I'm missing something. Tell me if I'm wrong. We got a, a Black community, say the projects, say someplace in Chicago, right? Uh, some would argue that they were pushed to that location. You got a high concentration of Black. But regardless, we have areas with a high concentration of Black people within one community, right? And you'll have some other, you know, races and stuff. But anyways, that community, which people see as, uh, you know, uh, higher in crime rate, not even see, but, you know, it's higher in crime rate and everything like that. Uh, housing prices are low. We know that schools, quality of school is directly related to housing prices, right? The better the house, the better the school. Are you going to tell me that, there are really good schools and really bad neighborhoods. There are some that are not as many as there should be. But what I'm saying is when we talk, a lot of, I hear the argument about they don't like the way it's funded. Property tax is funded. So if you get more houses, more money and higher cost houses, you get more money. It's true. But what they're leaving out is like you use Chicago as an example. Chicago doesn't fund the, the, the cities. They don't fund the schools that way. So they don't say. This neighborhood, this country, the, the money goes to the school district and the school district gets to decide what happens that month, right? So there's nothing stopping them from putting the money in, at school. They run the whole school. They're the C CEO of the Chicago public schools, not the CEO of the Northside Good Schools. So the okay. public schools, they run all the public schools, right? So they, they give the schools a certain amount of money. The problem is the poor schools need more money because in the richest areas. But how do you solve this one, Governor Semper? So you, you get both schools the same amount of money, so it's equal. But then yeah. in the risk school, to supplement, they have a, a PTA have the drive and the parents play up with shit ton of money, yeah. right? Because they can afford it. So what we, that's what I'm saying. That's a great example because we're not really looking at the root of the cost. We're thinking the root of the cost of property taxes, which is what is funded the school, and those schools don't have as much money. No, the CEO or the waiver who manages the money can say, okay, all schools get the same amount of money starting tomorrow. It still wouldn't solve the problem. Right. Yeah. Because because the because the rich in the community will be like, my school has a terrible field. Let's drop some money, raise some money for a field. And in two weeks, they'll have a brand new field or yeah. new books or new computers. The parents will just pay for it. You're not going to tell the parents, you're not going to not accept the parents' money because they're doing it from a great place. Mm. But then in the poor schools, the parents don't have the money to buy the computers. So now what do you do? Right. So yeah. you can't say so. So even if you fund the schools the same way, it wouldn't solve that problem. That's one problem. The other problem is in Chicago, which I know well in that example. That school in that poor neighborhood gets more money than the than the Catholic school in yeah, that I neighborhood. I think I heard that about Chicago right? somewhere. Yeah. Right. So the problem with this, with Chicago is a weird one. So I can't say it's everywhere. Yeah. The problem with with it is because you know the union, the taxes, the pay, the, the pensions, and all that. You pay people not to work. It is what it is. It's baked in. They already tried. The judges said you can't save it. So you got a a, school, a teacher who makes one hundred fifty thousand dollars a year in that thirty years who retires who gets eighty percent of that. Right. So they're making you know one hundred ten thousand dollars in perpetuity, you know, and they get to live for 20 years. They can retire at 55. Mm -hmm. So how can you, how, it's not even about right or wrong. I'm not blaming anybody, but that's the monster we're in right now. So how is it good for the kids to pay a guy who's not going to teach anymore for 25 years, $100,000 out of that pension? So there are more problems than just, you know, what if we change the way we funded the schools? That's all I'm saying. No, I'm not yeah. going to say the schools in, in, in the poor neighborhood are better, but they get tomorrow say every school gets it. We take the amount of money we get from taxes and we split it evenly through every school. I guarantee you there will be no change yeah. because it doesn't affect parental involvement if the parents happen not to be involved just because they're busy. It doesn't change the teachers. It doesn't change what they're teaching and it doesn't change what the, what the people 
outside of that limited dollar amount are doing. So you're still going to be caught in the problem. But, you yeah. know, we look at it like just if we, 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 we take the simple approach and just say property tax is not fair because the properties are worth more. If only we had more money, X. But I mean, look at the dollars. Look at the amount per school that schools get in Baltimore, D.C. and Chicago and see if it's that much different. You'll find that that's, that's not enough to solve the problem. Yeah, no, you you make a, a fantastic point. Like I, I've been thinking about it recently because when my son, uh, you know, now the uh, kids are going back to school, uh, like my my son lives with his mom during the week and they're like in a decent, like middle-class neighborhood, not amazing, but he goes to a decent school, right? I remember going to parent-teachers nights uh, night and they're like, we have X amount of dollars in technology here. It's one of the most invented. I'm like, damn, right? But you make a good point. Like they're going to raise more funds in that community, right? So with me being left-leaning, you being right-leaning, here's here's what I feel is a common misconception about you know my side is that we're looking for a quality of outcomes. And I'm like, no, I just want people to no, have no, a fair no, no. shot. That's, that's why there's a difference between liberals and the left. The left wants equality of outcomes. <laughs> they do, really? they literally say, I can, I can send you literature in their words where they say, oh, oh, I got a slide. I'll send it to you. Kendi was speaking at, I, I want to say Walmart, and he said, and the screen said equality of outcomes. You're wrong. Liberals don't want that. The left wants that. You need to call yourself yeah. There's a big difference. I draw a distinction. I, I love liberals. I look for liberals like I told you when I reached out to you. Liberals are, will be the ones who save the country because they don't want to listen to me because I'm a right-wing white supremacist. But you, you, you have liberal leaders. You understand it, but you want to do stuff that works. The left doesn't want that. Yeah, and so I'm we don't so, have a misconception. Yeah. We should see a difference between the two. And some of you liberals still don't understand you're not on the left. Yeah, I, that no, trust me. I've said it a million times on this podcast. I only started getting po into politics uh, in 2016 when Trump got elected. I'm like, I'm going to find out what's going on, right? Because I was just this nihilist. I'm like, who gives a shit? You know, whatever, right? So I'm still trying to figure out my own language and stuff, especially with, you know, when we talk about like the wokeism and all that stuff. I'm like, I don't know if I want to be associated with certain sectors of my people, right? But but to the, to the point I was making, like, how... If, if if Charles was president tomorrow, how do we resolve or work or even begin to work on those issues as you see it, where a, a better community raises more money? So even though everybody gets the same amount of money, but this one starts going past it, how do we balance those scales at all? You know what I mean? Because I, I don't want to think that we're hopeless. I hope, oh, well, rich people over here, poor people over here, sorry. You know, so what do we well, do? I got some good news and some bad news. <laughs> The good news is the solution is easy. The bad news is doing it is really hard. And <laughs> I won't say it won't happen, but everybody's going to fight. So Charles is present, I think. So what you do is you push hard for true equality while openly fighting equity. Well, what I mean by that is you start by making it a class issue. How do I help the poor and the working class? Right? So... And then to the people who are woke, you say, but you say blacks, which is not true. I'll get to that briefly in a minute. <laughs> you say all blacks are, are poor and living below the poverty line. So when I help poor people, aren't I helping them? Why do I have to write race on the bill? Why do I have to say black, right? If I help all poor people, then aren't I helping? In fact, I'm helping more blacks because according to you, most of the poor people are black. Not true, but that's what the left thinks. You know, so that's one thing. And another thing is you need, we need to, like BLM, they had perfect formula. I can't say perfect formula because they used uh, bribery, blackmail, guilt. But mm -hmm. you should you should go to these corporations and guilt them into not blackmail, but guilt them into being stewards of what you said, good altruism, right? 
So helping people, but not the stuff that just makes you, you're doing it because it helps your bottom yeah. line or makes you look well, but say like, if you find something that's successful, fund it, mm-hmm. right? You, you talk about these, there's there plenty of charities out there that are doing things, but nobody's really supporting them so, because nobody knows about it. And from a government st- standpoint, I'm like, get back to the things you're supposed to do. Like infrastructure should be something that the left and the right agrees on. Now they can argue on the dollar now. But we all need to openly stop saying my side and your side. I'm only saying sides if I told you I didn't like that. But if I'm a president, I'm assuming I'm part of the party. Yeah. So I'm the Democrat. I'm the Republican president. I'm going to say Democrats and Republicans stop adding pork to bills. You can write another bill. If you want a bill that says make, you know, daycare free for the first five years, there's nothing else in the bill. If you want a bill that's targeting no policing, there's nothing else in the bill. Mm-hmm. And just imagine how far that would go. And we don't yeah. have to say, well, I'm not going to sign it unless you give my congressional district a new this. No, that's the bill. And I will call you out for saying it. The reason this bill that everybody agrees is not passing is because Chris will not sign it because it doesn't have his language. That, that'll go a long way. Like, you know, and then like, um, you know, from the standpoint of the hardest part is getting people to understand. Like, I think normative people, like when I mentioned to my black friends who are left leaning with the 1619 Prize example, they say, well, I don't have Then I tell them what it says. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's yes. But they don't know. Like, mm-hmm. like you say, you didn't know. So I think part of it is an educational thing. So, you know, maybe you just, maybe the, uh, you know, they do all this thing. What's the words where they run the commercials to say, don't do drugs and all the other stuff? The ad counts. Oh, What's yeah. the government funding? I always say, why are we funding that? You know, but maybe we should fund talks like, um, you know, like we used to have where you have somebody, a liberal to conservative, go and talk about an issue, you know, but not already you just say, I think this is the solution. So, so people will hear both sides, play that stuff on prime time or something. I don't know, but there's gotta be something. And then this openly, that's now openly say that the government is not built to solve the problems and I am not going to solve all your problems. I'm going to put everyone in a position where they can compete. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we see what happens. We see who falls in the cracks and then we, we charity and government handout to help those people. I'm mm-hmm. all for government handouts for helping those people, but I think the threshold has gotten too high. We, we give money to people who don't deserve money. You know how I get a check? Do you? I won't tell you how much I make. I make too much money to get a check. Let's just yeah. leave it at that. But I get a check because they think that they just blindly just did this. So how yeah. is that helping people? I was saying to somebody on the left, how is that helping everybody I'm listening to, their mouth is support. They're like, what? And I'm like, mm-hmm. this is what you all signed up for because we put pork and we put everybody in like to the sex because I'm black, I deserve it. So to that real quick, I want to make sure I say that part of the problem is there are problems and we need to try to fix them and they're hard to fix. But how you fix a problem will be dictated by how big you think the problem is. That's the problem that race crazy tries to address. Yeah. And that's the problem. It's because if you think that 90% of blacks are, are poor college dropouts and violent, you say burn the system down. But if you think it's 7%, 10%, you said that's too high, but we could probably fix that. My problem is I think the left, that's why I call it progressive racism. They're racist, but they're doing it from good intent. They're still racist, right? Uh, what a traditional racist we dig up from the slavery days and Jim Crow would say blacks yeah. are inferior to whites and they're not as good as, good as us. And they shouldn't have the same privilege as us. We're better. And everybody said that's openly racist. I, the black male, would say, how is that different? Then saying all whites are racist because you love your people together. But beyond that, saying, well, we need to help the blacks because, you know, we need the Lord to stand so they can get in prison. They're not smart enough to get in prison on their own. Yeah. Or we say, we need to do something about criminal justice reform. Yeah, because blacks, you know, I mean, they're going to, I mean, they're, they're honestly, they're, the right is right about one thing. They disproportionately commit crime because they're violent people. So they're going to break the law 
So we just have to do something so they don't all end up in prison. So maybe we just need to stop uh, uh, arresting them for certain things. So that's where it's stopped because God forbid, we'll actually stop committing crime. And so I put a positive spin on it. I said, why the left and right, left is saying, you know, the right is saying blacks commit 50% of the murders. And the left is saying blacks are criminals, but it's not their fault, it's the system. I say, the, the, the black, blacks, only two and a half percent of blacks commit violent crime. 97% of blacks don't commit crime. Can we talk about that number? Most of us don't commit crime. You say your family didn't grow up in one of those neighborhoods, but I grew up in one of those neighborhoods. All black, Gary, Indiana. You know, mm. most of my friends did not commit crime. Most of my friends were poor to working class. Poverty doesn't necessarily make you crime. And if it did, I would ask you, 10% of, of whites live in poverty and 20% of blacks live in poverty, but only 2.5% of blacks commit violent crime and only like 7% of blacks commit crime of any kind, then maybe poverty doesn't make you break the law because if that's the case, you'd have 20% of blacks committing crime and you would have 10% of whites and you don't because poverty does not make you commit crimes. It, it's an accelerant in the perfect situation. It makes it easier, quicker to push you in that direction. But poverty in and of itself does not make you run people. Stop putting people down, right? It's basically saying blacks are failures and to, to, to steal a phrase from our women, right? And then lastly, you talk about your family, your mom and dad, and you know, so your mom, you're a black guy and all this kind of stuff was attacked and they, you know, given a hard time for doing it. But according to the progressives of this world, she's a racist, bar none. Doesn't matter how she lived, doesn't matter what, what charity she donates to, how she treats people, who she dates, who she married, doesn't matter, races. Can't we see that that's just silly? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, that was something, that was something last summer uh, where I just, I, I had this like weird moment because that's what you just said literally happened to my mom. Like my, my mom, I always say it, she has two fake front teeth for getting her ass beat for dating black dudes, right? And, you know, she she was, you know, part of civil rights movements, all that stuff, back 60s, everything, right? And last summer, people were calling her racist because she was white. And I was like, whoa, time out. And especially when you get these young progressives, right? Like these people, you know, like ha less than half my mom's age saying, no, white lady, you're a racist. And I was like, are you guys kidding me right now? Like, you don't know what she's been through, what she's done, what she's fought for. And I get it. Like, my mom is a psychologist, right? And I'm huge into psychology. And I, I get that there's a lot of in-group versus out-group bias. We see people who look different. We, you know, we get afraid for a second or we think they're different and stuff like that. But yeah, the term racist, sometimes it gets, it gets thrown around a little too willy-nilly. But it's the white ones, too. So if all whites are racist, why do yellow progressive whites get to call everyone racist? Yeah, it's, it's... It's a simple question. It's been really, it's been really weird, but but kind of like what you're talking about and been talking about is is like, you know, getting to the root of these problems. Uh, just within weeks, I, I had somebody say that the most, most pressing issue for, you know, uh, women is that women... Uh, you know, um, I forgot what they were saying. It was like misogyny or something like that. And, but they were, they were talking about these like issues that aren't like, not, not about the domestic violence or anything like that. So I'm curious your thoughts on this, going back to, you know, the race conversation with jobs. I, uh, there's a, I think a popular study, right. Where they did like blindly, like put down black names of white names on applications. And they saw that there was like issues right? Less Black people are getting hired. So if we get out of the school thing, get into the job market, do you see that 
as an issue that race might be affecting it in some way, shape or form based on black names, like your name's Charles. Nobody's gonna know, right? But someone with a, a more black sounding name, do you see that as an issue with the, with the job hunting system, if you will? See, every one of these has, has one of these things. It's so funny to me because <laughs> on the surface, it's true. You'd have to be a fool to deny it. But you, you're a numbers guy and you have to look at all the numbers. And that's what I say. In most of these cases, really, the shots, really smart people are smarter people than me. I don't have a PhD, but I really understand numbers. And they do too. But because they have a bias, I have a bias, but I, I also have an interest in understanding what the numbers mean. Mm-hmm. So what they'll do is they'll leave a number out of the equation. And when you leave a number out of the equation, it doesn't matter how good you are with numbers because you're missing one. So in this, I use a lot of other examples, but in this particular case, I have no doubt that's true. I believe those studies that that happens, what percentage it happens, I don't know if it depends on the sample size. Mm-hmm. But here's the problem. You just made a key point. You said my name is Charles. You know what they leave out of that study? What percentage of Blacks have those names? Mm-hmm. Right? Because if all the Blacks, if 4% of Blacks have these names, and, and, and when whites see them, they discriminate against 80% of them. It's still not discriminated against 80% of Blacks, right? It's discriminated against 80% of 4%, which is 3.2%. That's one thing. And then that would be offset by, like I said, the corporations that I chose before that are openly trying to hire Blacks. So you, you get that resume from the right guy, he's mm-hmm. calling you because he thinks you're Black, right? So I don't remember the study. It was in my last book, We Want Equality, where I talked about it was more gender. But in the gender section, I read this liberal's book about gender. And I liked it. She was talking about how there are problems of misogyny and how women are treated. And she was talking specifically about jobs. And we should try to address them. But we make the mistake, like I say, she wrote the way I wrote from the left. She's saying that we don't address it because we assume things. And she cited some study in France where they were going to try to see if they were uh, using these discrimination, women and, and, and blacks would be discriminated against because of their names and their gender were in zip codes like we get from the fourth place. So they did the study, they found out literally that this was happening a little bit, whatever. But then they did another study where they had them redo rest us group of resumes and made them take names and addresses out. So they don't know your zip code, they don't know you're living in the good, they don't know you're black. And what they found was when they made these equal, blacks and women got less um, um, calls. Cause you know what they found? There was a percentage that they didn't account for of liberal whites who wanted women and blacks, and they were using that information to move up their resumes. And without, with a blind look, they couldn't do it again. I know one example that I didn't write about that I can use. So the liberals made a good point. This was one point that as conservative, I agree with them. And now the left is beating up on the liberals trying to take it back. <laughs> so a few years ago, in, when it comes to classical music, they were saying that these uh, philharmonics, you know, across oh, the country yeah. didn't have enough minorities in it, right? And it was because the auditions, they could see the Asian, they could see the woman, they could see the black, and they're picking the white. So what we want, we want blind auditions. So you get behind the screen, person plays, and the professional listens and says, number two is the best, but we hire whoever number two is. And they implement it. And even as the conservatives didn't come up with it, it was a liberal idea to solve racism. So conservatives don't tend to think that way. And then they're like, well, I think that's new. I'm okay with it. And they get it, and they roll with it for a couple of years. And after the, after George Floyd, they came back. I get a find it, but you can go look it up. The uh, the writer on uh, classical music, I believe, the New York Times wrote that to make things equal, we need to get rid of blind auditions. And his argument was that blind auditions were bad to fix racism, because what the blind auditions found was whites were still getting picked. Because whites played better, because whites did more whites play cello. So when you drill it down to the best three, 
the chances that the best three would be white would be better. Mm -hmm. So this person was saying, now we're at the point we need to get rid of the blacks so we can see them and then purposefully pick the black and the Asian and the woman. Mm -hmm. This is what we're doing to fix things. So this is what happens. So to your name thing, there are definitely, so I agree with all of it, right? It's a complicated mess. There are definitely people saying, I don't want to hire Shaquita. So I'm glad I sell this name. Whoa, I don't get to hire a black person. Then there's some that didn't know before. And there's some that wants to hire her, right? So what percentage that is, we don't know. But what to, I would add the cherry on top to what my argument is. So that's the left, right, the, the left argument, the right argument. Then there's the Charles argument. <laughs> Whenever people say we need jobs in the community, I get mad. I, I, I agree this because I don't think we need jobs. That's the third rung on the ladder. What we need is skills because we got in the way, we letting people, because of racism, to fix it. We're, we're letting people drop out and covering it up. We're passing people through and giving them a diploma they can't read. They're graduating 12th grade reading at the eighth grade level or doing math at the ninth grade level, but we think they're going to be able to succeed. Some of them we push to college because we think everybody's here, we should go to college. So we force the government to give them a loan they can't pay back and let them into college and then they're washed mm -hmm. out. That's not helping anyone. We're not teaching critical thinking skills. We're not teaching them how to take orders from a manager and not get mad, all these kind of things. Yeah. So I think people learn best from stories. So I paid a picture. So Coca-Cola, everybody knows, headquartered in Atlanta. I was in Chicago at the time, we can use New York. So let's say New York and Chicago bribes Coca-Cola with tax incentives and all these other things to move to, to their city. But the key, you got to move to a black neighborhood. So Coke said, it's a great deal. They're going to move. So now the, the, the left will, will say, yeah, we want. The liberal will say, maybe we want them to think a little bit more. But they'll be happy and they'll, they'll just put their hands up and think they want, but they didn't think it all the way through. So Coke comes. We all know common sense says Coke is not going to hire any of the upper management in Chicago and New York. They're going to take middle management in Atlanta, promote them, and pay them to move. So you didn't create a job, right? Somebody just who already worked with Coke got an opportunity to move up. Go for that. So they come in. They got to build a, a, high, a building. Who's going to build the building, right? Most of the uh, minority contractors e either already get all the contracts because they're NBE requirements. So they got all the foods they could eat. They're already living back. They're not additional uh, construction companies. So the big boys are going to build. So the big white corporations are going to build. They got uh, companies, construction companies. They're going to throw some sub work to a few minorities. They build the building. They get the contract. Now the building's up. Upper management is there. They, they need some middle management. So they're going to steal companies, steal those accountants and engineers from some other company, company, right? White, black, or different. So they'll mm -hmm. hire black accountants, but they're not hiring unemployed black accountants. They're just moving them from the competition. Still haven't created a job yet. Then they open up, they get all this in, and they open some, hire some mid-level people. So all they end up hiring are entry-level people and the people who are working, making minimum wage, working in the lobby, you know, at the front desk. That's all they did. All they did beyond that was shuffle some jobs around and get the city some more taxes along. Yeah. Right. So you say, but the tax dollars will help. Yeah, you buy Atlanta of the tax dollars, dollars that were in Atlanta. <laughs> and this is a majority, majority black uh, city. So all you did was recycle. You created nothing. You spent $50 million and you created six jobs. I live in the real world. You all live in a fantasy land. Yeah, no, uh, I, I can totally see that because a lot of it is just like it looks like there's a lot of a lot of appearances going on, even like going back to the money donation to organizations right. and stuff. I'm like, well, what did you actually do right but so if I you want to help them give them skills push the push mm. the unions the private unions that have apprenticeship to allow blacks in their apprenticeship you know put on the other side as a, as a conservative i'll say why does every job have to happen see that's part of the way the pro-union on the left gets a beat up because here's another thing so isn't that a lot of people on the left don't like the police, police right and when a police shoot somebody they get protected by the union they get mad 
but that union's a public sector union. So how are you pro-union, you're pro-teachers union, but you're against that union? They're doing the same thing because mm-hmm. you don't like that public job. It's no different. Be fair. So either you're for a union or you're against union. So that police union is doing with the same thing that the teachers union is doing for a bad teacher. They're protecting. They protect bad cops. They also protect bad teachers, but you like that union. So you're hypocritical. The second thing is, as a conservative, I'm pro-union. Let the unions do whatever you want. But I don't want them to crowd out a monopoly. I thought the left was against monop- monopolies. So. If you have people train up blacks to be electricians, you know, carpentry work and that kind of thing, they still can't get a job in Chicago because they only hire union workers. What's up with that BS? That's racist because the blacks can't get in the union. They're like one, the 13% of the population, no, no, in Chicago, 20 something percent of the population, they're like a two, one or 2% of the youth. Mm-hmm. So how, even if I teach them how to do electrical work, how are they going to get a job unless they join a youth? So if you really were progressive, you'd say, I'm not trying to tear down the union, but I don't want you to have to be in the union to work on that government job. And, and right now, today, you got to be in the union to work on that job. Hmm. That's really interesting. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> that Chris think? Yeah, a little bit. But yeah, we'll even talk about skills. And like, uh, I, I'll just use the, the example we were at a minute ago with the, the Philharmonic, because that's something interesting, because I've had a lot of people on here talking about like issues with just the college admission system and stuff like that. But let's 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 focus on the Philharmonic, right? Because there's always the argument, and trust me, I get it. There's an argument like how many black people want to play the cello, right? How many want to play the flute, right? You know, we can go into that. But but going back to equality of opportunity, and then it trickles back down to elementary school, middle school. The argument is, is that, yeah, a white, you know, maybe a bunch of white people are amazing at the instruments that the Philharmonic needs. But if we go back down to the root of it, did those kids have the opportunity to even develop an interest in that instrument if they're not getting the funding for you know, good music teachers, for instruments, for supplies and stuff like that. Do you still see that as going back to the point you were making earlier about like, we need more funding from like corporations like Coca-Cola and others to fund those programs? Is that what you're, you're thinking? Right. And I love those programs, but here's the problem. Let's be fair. We both just agree because we got to find where we agree and then branch out. We both agree that too many kids, whatever we, it's, it's trucks fall, it's, it's race, it's slavery, it's, it's, it's religion, <laughs> whatever reason, the fact is too many of these kids are not reading and doing math at grade level, mm. right? So there's a fight every lot of time in the day. Right now, whether you call it CRT, whether it's the 1619 Project, whether it's the curriculum fair, the fact is we are heavily pushing race, race and gender in the school. How exactly are we to expect kids to have an opportunity to get interested in classical music? When the push is, funding is a problem, but we have to get them, you know, literate and numerate first. But yeah. beyond that, the push is that classical music is racist and we should be moving away mm. from that to culturally relevant pedagogy and teaching what Blacks would consider their culture. So you can't have it both ways. You can't say, mm. you know, we don't need to teach a bunch of old white men. Remember, we would throw out the Shakespeare. So we should throw out the Mozart too? Right? But yeah. when we throw out the Mozart, you're not, you know, first cello in, in the Boston Bill of Mind. You mm. can't have it both ways. So are we fixing the problem or not? I want them to have the opportunity. I think there's a finite amount of money you can get from taxpayers because it comes from the poor worker too. Mm. So why not go to, you know, Kendi and, and Nicole Adagello's and the hard left 
They have a lot of clout. They gave them hundreds of millions of dollars. Why didn't one of them go to Nike and say, you know what? I'm going to need you to write a $10 million check for classical music training. Yeah. Because they're not going to. They'll say, raise the taxes. Right? Yeah. The taxes, you can't just raise the taxes on six guys. You got to raise the taxes of middle class and working class. And they have to do what they have to do to spot, spend less, move, do whatever. And so you got two problems. You got a funding problem. You have an interest problem. Because what if you spend all that money, buy all the, buy all the instruments, get a great teacher? And I'm just like, I don't know, that just ain't cool. I'm on JV, screw Mozart. Yeah. You're going to drag me by the ear and say, listen to Mozart? Right? You're yeah. still going to have, and it's a smaller percentage of people. So you're still going to have a smaller percentage of people interested. You're still going to have, okay, let's say there's 15 times the, the number of whites to blacks who are interested in class. Maybe you drop that number to seven times, right? You cut it in half. So double the amount of blacks are interested in it, right? Mm-hmm. Which means you double the amount that become good at. You're still likely to have more whites who are better at it just because it's more. Well, you still haven't fixed the problem. You need to cut it by, you know, threefold, fourfold in order to make that difference. Is it worth it with all the other problems? Yeah, yeah. No, I think, see, this is one of the reasons I I love talking with people where we might not agree because you're helping me see these things. Because like you said, like, if I, like, uh, here in Las Vegas, there are a bunch of just like, really hood schools like my friend she teaches at one and it is very just not compared to some of the rich areas around here right but if i if i if i was a millionaire i went over there and said hey here's a million dollars for a classical music program there's nothing that tells me that those kids are going to do it and then you gotta like there's a lot of a lot of these issues are, you gotta pay them to go first, yeah right? a lot of these issues are extremely complex Which, by the way i'm okay with paying people to do stuff if you have the money yeah right we bribe our kids and whatever bribe. Yeah. Say, all right, I'll give you $50, give you $20 a week to go to somebody in, you know, fourth grade, $20 a week to go mm-hmm. for six weeks. And if you like it, you can keep doing it. If you don't like it, you just got $120. Yeah. I'm okay it, with that. We yeah. just don't do it out of tax dollars. The tax yeah. dollars need to be teaching them critical thinking skills, math and history. They need to be able to do math and read at this class level. And if they care, we don't have time for the wokeness. We yeah. don't have time to take them out of class and teach them to deconstruct their white, white privilege. Yeah, no, it's, it, it seems like there's a, just, these issues are so complex and that's why I'm just like, hey, just treat people right. And let's try to, you know, let's try to get people on level playing field and then like, they'll they'll do the work, right? Because- but nobody's you know, talking about, nobody else is talking about solutions. No, go look at the BLM stuff I put out there. Look at the movement for Black Lives look at what they're demanding. It's nothing about solutions. It's like, we demand because whites, and here's the problem, whites are bad. So our solution is, you know, stop being bad. I mean, what, what's the solution? What do you do? And never do we have to do anything. I've got one of those to say, all the problems are black. Pull yourself up by the bootstrap. But you do have to have some part to play in it. It yeah. can't be all, the whites can be bad, but then we expect the whites, we're counting on the whites, fix it all. That's silly. Yeah. So let me ask you this. I got a little bit more of your time. I didn't even think we were going to go this long, but I could talk to you all day, Charles. This is great. But let me, let me ask you this. So go into that whole, the whole CRT debate, right? Like, I guess the question is, because I think there's a misconception about conservatives too. I think I think there's like just some areas, some specific cities that we've heard about in the news that are going extreme. Like, like some of them are like, it, it sounds like the narrative is don't even teach about uh, uh, the history of slavery in schools, right? And then you have CRT where some of it, that goes to the extreme where it's like, hey, racism is everywhere. It's in everything. And we're going to teach these kids. Like I had Bonnie Kerrigan Snyder on here from FIRE not too long ago, where she talks about within the school systems but like from your point of view like how how do you think history of the country should or could be taught in in the right way of the of the past but here's where we're at now where it's not like you 
this is an issue that's never going to get solved. It's never going to leave. Right. Well, first, I'd like to say the problem is if people take nothing else away from this. Don't listen to the left or the right. Do your, <laughs> don't listen to Chris and Charles. Because yeah. this is what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, read my book and you'll find No, look it up for yourself. Because what I find, because I don't get to watch a lot of news. You know what I mean? Maybe you, you, you're like this too with your podcast. I got a podcast, a radio show, a job, yeah. Jerry, and a book I was, book I'm promoting. If people are shocked when they say, how you got two radio shows and you don't watch the news? I know human nature. I know what you all are arguing about. I don't need to watch the news. <laughs> but I see these things and they got a shot. So somebody asked me about Virginia. They're like, they're trying to ban bluff. And I looked it up and it wasn't true. So look up what they're saying and see if it's really true. What it is, is people bastardizing what the left and right is really saying. You may think I'm doing it. I take their quotes. But a lot of people are saying, the left wants to do whatever. And the right, no, just look. And you'll find what, so what the problem with that, and I'll get to the, the, the way it should be taught. Because that's simple. Teach everything. But uh, and don't and don't omit stuff. But the problem is like I hear this all the problem with the right is they would have they don't want to teach uh, sleep. I've never found the bill that said that. I hear people say that it might be one, I haven't with them all. But whenever somebody posts one, I go look at this city and that's not what it says. Right. Yeah. So just look it up yourself. Don't try, don't be like phone news. Go look it up yourself. You can just find the bill and read. You'll say stuff like, don't teach racial essentialism, meaning don't teach that one race is better than the other just because your race is bad. What's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. It doesn't say don't teach slavery. Don't teach that some people did believe in X. It says you don't teach that one race is XYZ, yeah. right? So it's not really saying that. So don't really, I mean, the Virginia bill, by the way, did not ban be lucky. It, it said at a certain age, should you be uh, using books that have certain kind of graphic or sexuality? Because I think somebody in the book got raped or whatever. And at mm-hmm. a certain age level, if you could teach that book, right? But, if, but to the left, I'll say, if you don't want to ban that, just the, the good context of that book, just because there was some rough sexual stuff in it, then why is you banning Huffman because of one word? Mm-hmm. Right? So yeah. find out what they're really saying. It's like, but the solution is teach everything. I don't have a problem with any of the true things that uh, Nicole Hannah Jones puts in the 1619 Project. Don't have a problem with it being tough. Where I have a problem with you cover it with a conclusion. The solution would be don't give your opinion of what it means. Don't try to tie slavery to the reason Pookie and Ray Ray got arrested last week. Yeah. And that's not teaching history because now you're saying somebody got arrested in 2020. Somebody knocked over a liquor store, right? And they did it because of 1843. That's not history. But you can teach what happened in 1843. That's totally fine. But don't teach the founders and don't teach what teach a nuance. Don't teach what they said. You can teach Jefferson Old Slave and teach how unique the idea of, you know, all men are created equal. We write our own lives and our, and our laws come from a higher power, not man. And just say, that guy sucked, but he wrote this and nobody else had done it before him. And 80% of the countries, 90% of the countries that have a written constitution based it off of there. And that's how powerful it was. And that's why we celebrate him, not because he beat his wife. That's how you teach it. Yeah. Yes, he beat his wife. Beating your wife is wrong. We're not celebrating the fact that he beat his wife. We're celebrating the fact that he created, he found the DNA without it. We wouldn't have the medical boundaries we have today. How hard is that? That's not hard. Yeah. But they just want to say, he beat his wife. So let's ignore everything else he wrote. That's the problem. And there's, and then they, they think they're slick. They're saying conservatives are saying they don't want us to tell that he beat his wife. That's not true. I don't know. I'm not saying anyone. And I know Chris Rupo. Chris Rupo, one of them, is not saying that. So I can't <laughs> speak to all of them. Chris Rupo is not saying don't teach that Thomas Jefferson owns slave. Yeah. Yeah, so, I, so find out what people what, what what it's really saying. That's yeah, I, I definitely agree too because uh, you know with all this stuff going on, my my son he's twelve now and stuff. And like you said, like 
schools should be teaching more critical thinking skills and stuff like that. But that's all I, I just try to teach my kid how to think. I try not to give him opinions or anything like that. It's like, what do you think? Here's the information. And that's kind of what I'm gathering about all these school debates. It's like, let's just put the information out there. You know what I mean? And, and have them talk about it, have them write about it, have them research it and know how to find good sources. And like you're saying, even the people listening right now, that's a, seems like a massive issue from every side which way from Sunday where people see headlines and like you said like you go in and you you investigate like oh did it really say that and because be clear when you see a headline 90% of the time it doesn't mean exactly what it says yeah. so I'm just like there's no way this is true so let me see if it's true my common sense tells me that there's no way they passed the beloved bill that's saying we were banned all books by black authors there's no way it's just a, a trans member wouldn't write that bill he wouldn't, not today. <laughs> a guy who literally in the claim wouldn't write that bill. So when they tell you to write that bill, it's BS. Yeah. And when you look at my book, you'll find it's heavily cited. I cite everything. And I couldn't do it as well because of the topic matter. But if you look at the find if you look at my last book, I don't remember, I don't know, 150 of some of my citations. There's only one from a, a right-wing source. And that's only because I wanted to tell that story and no one else told it. I may get a point to all these site liberal sources because I don't want you to say, well, of course he said that because he is Breitbart of full news. Nope, it's all NPR, Think Progress, yeah. the New York Times, the Washington Post. That's where I go to get my sources. Yeah, no. And actual, uh, actual educational, you know, papers and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, and for every, for everybody listening, I, I questioned something from one of the sources, but I emailed you back. I'm like, oh, my bad, I misread that. It was about a section on Breonna Taylor that people could read right, right, uh, right. about in there. But yeah, no, you cite, you cite your stuff in there and I'm glad people do. I wish more people actually check them. You know what I mean? Because sometimes, because if I ever question anything, I'm like, oh, Oh, cool. You put a source, I could check in and look and stuff like that. And I checked a few more spot on and everything. So I respect that. And I appreciate that because I've read so many books where it's just like, I'll go and check it. I'm like, I can't find this shit anywhere. But well, I have but, a problem with that nowadays because you know, you know they got the thing where you can find everything, the internet never dies. Yeah. But when you move stuff around, it gets really hard or it's a little different. I wanted that exact site. So I, you know, I, when I was doing the edit, I had to go back and find rewrite sections because I couldn't find that source. So I had to use mm. another source, right? So that yeah. happens. But, you know, I do, I take, um, you know, uh, every effort to do, to make sure that everything I say, that's not my word. I'm saying this is what they say. It's their words. It's their yeah. quotes. Okay? I yeah. think that's important. So, so to wrap this up, one question I, I try to always ask authors too, and you, you kind of discuss this uh, in the introduction of the book, but like who, who's your target audience for this? Who are you hoping picks it up? I know, okay, so here, here's a good example. You have forwards in the, or not forwards, but like, uh, like accolades from like Dennis, uh, yeah, from like Dennis Prager and stuff like that. But are you hoping the Dennis Prager, are you hoping the Prager audience picks this up or who do you want to read this? Well, I had to go to their audience so I can at least sell three or four when the left just says it's great place to do this. No, yeah. but my, my goal is twofold. It is for the white in the sense to learn how to speak because I think the way they make the argument, even when I read them, I was like, nobody's going to listen to that argument. Here, here's a better way to bring your argument. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I just ask questions a lot. So what do you, so you say you want to do this. How does that work? How does that play out? How does it help? Does it solve the problem? Because I don't want to do it if it does solve the problem. It takes too much effort. Mm -hmm. But mostly it's to center left people. My audience is you. It's to say, you don't agree with everything BLM say, but you say the premise is okay. I don't have a problem with it. I ask you, are they helping? Is what they're doing creating a net gain, net positive? And if no, what shit would be doing, a shit would be putting all this effort in it if it's, if it's not. I say, like I said, do you believe uh, you would, I, I, it's almost like a test. You say, tell me everything you think about BLM or Then you read the BLM section. 
Then I go after the fact. Assuming it's true, I know you haven't had time to look up every site. Let's mm-hmm. assume everything I wrote is true. Did it change your mind about BLM? Like whether you're willing to drop $5 down to support their cause, right? So that's the argument. Because I truly believe that normative America, I think, first of all, I think most people don't listen to the left or right podcast news, whatever. They're just in their own world. I don't know how we reach them. We have to find a way. But I think that somewhere around my numbers might be high because I'm, you know, Hoping the positive. Yeah. I'm thinking there's 200 million people in the country who don't listen to Rachel Maddow or, or Sean Anna, right? They yeah. don't read the New York Times or Breitbart. So how do we get them? But I say, if they want to read my book, I think that most of them, whether they lean left or lean right, will say, wow, I didn't know about this, about BLM's back. Or until CRT, I'm told it's just a bunch of white people who don't want to teach why we just wrote some of the dates. It's a bunch of people who don't want to teach history. Well, I've been, I've been speaking at uh, parent conferences. I've been to places all the time. I work in education. I haven't met one white person saying, well, my problem with this, they try to teach my kid about Harriet Tubman. It's all, they're asking my kid what, what, what um, sex he, he, he thinks he is or what sex he's, he prefers as far as um, sexual preference. Mm-hmm. They're at, telling him to say why he's an oppressor and those kind of things. That has nothing to do with black history, right? So, so I want people to understand that this is what's really happening, regardless of what you're ta- calling it. And then, I think we only win this and we only move the needle if normative people's center left get involved and say, hey, I'm a liberal, but what they're teaching is, is wrong. I have to say, I don't like Ruth Law, I don't like Dennis Prager, but I must admit, on this topic, they're right. That's what people will start to listen. Yeah. So that's what the book is for. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like, I, I think I told you, like, I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm the person you wrote this for. You know what I mean? And maybe we'll do a conversation another time, because I think that the biggest hurdle is how do you get these people to? Because a lot of yeah, people. They, to, yeah, and at some point you have to tell me after reading it, what struck you as, uh, I mean, even when you disagree, you said, I disagree, but I looked it up and it's factual. But, you know, I do understand the left more than you and agree with them a little bit, but I will admit that it's not it's not going to bring about the solution that we want right yeah. so where is it you know where do you find that or, or, or worse where do you find it wow that is problematic that they say this and that that could i can see how you know regular normative white people or liberals would be have a problem with that and if you think it was effective yeah yeah for sure there were definitely things where you you hit your mark where it did shift me a little and we'll maybe we'll, we'll maybe we'll have to do a part two but part Charles, two. This is this has been great. I love talking with you. Uh, today is that we're recording this is the first. So tell everybody when's the book coming out, and also where can they find you because you're super active, like you said, doing two shows and all over the place. So when's yeah, the book, where where can they find you? At? Uh, the book is coming out next week from tomorrow, next Tuesday, November 9th. You can pre-order it now. You can just, you listen to it, whatever he posted, just go pause it and then buy three copies and then come and listen to there the rest. Go. And then if you like what I say after that, buy three more. But yeah, you can get it everywhere. Amazon, uh, you can get it at Indie Books. And just go to Simon & Schuster or look up my, Google my name and, and it shows all the links where you can buy it, Barnes & Noble. Um, and there's ice on Audible. I read the book so you can Ooh, uh, nice. listen to it actually what I mean when I say it. So uh, I, I did some double, you know, retakes because I said it sounded fine, but that's not what I had in my mind when I said it. This is where the inflection should be, so that should be fun. Uh, you can find me in a lot of my interviews, and this is cool, like like Bakia, like you mentioned, we interview a lot of the same people, so I like to listen to uh, you and Xavier and other people listen, interview the same people from the left and see what's different about yeah. it, but the show is The Charles Love. You can find me on the website, thecharleslove.com. You can go to AM 560 The Answer and you can listen to all the previous interviews. The podcast has cut the bull. This week was Eric Metaxas, but uh, every week we have a really interesting uh, guest there. Will Riley and Shamika Michelle is a lot of fun. 
And um, where else can you find me? I don't know. You should go to thecharleslove.com or find me on Twitter at cdouglaslove3. And I tweet out about all the stuff I'm doing. It's easy to find me. Beautiful. I love thank it. Thank you for and, having me. Yeah. And I respect the work ethic. It inspires me to hustle more, even though I'm all over the place. too. <laughs> yes, yeah, the man who reads 300 books. Get out of here. I tweeted something. I was like, I've had 110 interviews and I've read 70 books this year. And Chris was like, hold my beer. I've read 5,000 books in the last <laughs> I was like, wow, that's crazy. That's impressive. Yeah. Well, now, now I find out you had an audio, uh, an audio version, but I had your PDF. I have this app that turns into right. like a robot voice, but right. uh, yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll have to go buy the audio now too. So I can hear your inflection. So you can hear, hear my take. Yes. Well, yeah, man. Thanks so much for your time. And, and yeah, I'll be linking all this stuff down below. So we'll do this again sometime. All right. I appreciate it. Have a good one. All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with, Charles, uh, yeah, he's he's a great guy. I really enjoyed that conversation. And like I said, like after that conversation, I I sat and I, I I rethought a lot of different things, especially you know around schooling. Like I've I've thought a lot. I even sat down and talked to my girlfriend after the the podcast. That you know the part where we were talking about you know, uh, introducing music programs into school. Like there's no guarantee that all these kids are going to want to be, uh, you know, uh, classical musicians and all that kind of stuff. And it really has me thinking about, you know, what are the best solutions for, you know, schools? What are some of the best solutions for funding these schools? You know, Charles, uh, he has, you know, his ideas about this. And, you know, I somewhat agree. I think there might be some other options maybe better i'm not sure yet i'm still kind of working through that process but but yeah again i love talking with people from you know uh, uh different viewpoints just so i can open up my mind a little bit more and we can all kind of come together and find better solutions because when we stay in our own just little tunnel visioned approach to everything you know, we're missing so many other perspectives. And I, I do think that we need like more uh, diversity of ideas if we're going to come up with some practical solutions. So huge thanks to Charles. Make sure you go and uh, check out his book. It is out now, Race Crazy. Link down in the description below. Make sure you're following Charles over on Twitter. I've also linked to his podcast. The dude is all over the place. So make sure you check out his stuff. And if you thought this was a good conversation, if you enjoyed it, make sure you share this episode. Uh, show people that we can have conversations even if we don't agree on everything you know it's important that we do have these discussions so share this episode um and it really helps out if you share any of these episodes it helps get the word out so if you come across any of the episodes with any of these authors just share it over on facebook twitter instagram reddit whatever your thing is all right i don't even know if, like maybe you can do it on snapchat i don't know how you do that i don't use snapchat i haven't used it in years but you get what i'm saying all right the other thing that really helps out the podcast uh make sure you leave a rating and review over on apple huge help these algorithms love that kind of stuff all right but before i let you go uh Make sure you're following me over on Instagram and Twitter at The Rewired Soul so you don't miss any upcoming episodes, uh, updates about the new book that I'm working on, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, my DMs are always open. And yeah, shoot me a message if you want to chat about books, anything that comes up. I have some people email me about episodes and we'll just talk and you know toss around ideas and have conversations. I love that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, if you want to, you can head over to TheRewiredSoul.com. I've already uh, published a few books, mainly on mental health, addiction, recovery, my experience being canceled over on YouTube. That is also something I wrote about. All that's available at TheRewiredSoul.com. 
And if you are somebody looking to improve your mental health, mental health is a huge, huge part of my life. And there is an affiliate link down below for BetterHelp Online Therapy. That is a service that I've personally used. So if you're looking for affordable online therapy with a licensed therapist, check out BetterHelp down in that affiliate link in the description, all right? But another huge, huge thanks to Charles for taking the time to come on. Make sure you check out his book, Race Crazy. And yeah, for all of you, have an amazing rest of your day. I'll have one more episode for you this week on Friday. And yeah, in this next week, I'm actually being interviewed for a couple other uh, podcasts with some really cool people. So stay tuned for that. All right. So yeah, have a good one and I'll see you in the next one.